Let's pray. Lord, would you breathe your life into these ancient words that they might be your life for us today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, God's judgment on sin. Thank you for giving me uh, this particular passage um, to preach on. Uh, And if you read it, and do go away and read Joshua 7 uh, and 8, Uh, If you read it, then it is a really disturbing passage. And it has, a couple of us have already been saying this morning, not too dissimilar uh, parallels with what is happening in the world today. A uh, Israel on a war footing fighting against a much smaller opponent. And if that shouldn't give us a cause to pray for what's happening in the world today, um, then that's what we should be doing. Please be praying for the situation in Israel and Gaza and in the Middle East at the moment. Joshua, if you haven't worked out already in the series that you've been going through, uh, is probably the, the place in the Bible where the disparity between the, the values of our modern world and the values of the time that it was written is most obvious. And if you look at the book of Joshua, it's really split into two parts. 12 chapters and 12 chapters. The first 12 chapters, and I'm going to paraphrase for you, is... We invaded this part of the country and killed them and took their land. We invaded this part of the country and killed them and took their land. We invaded this part of the country and so on and so on and so on. The second 12 chapters of Joshua are, and then we gave their land to this tribe. And then we gave their land to this tribe. And there we gave their land to this tribe. So it is a deeply uncomfortable book to read and very difficult for us in our modern culture to get our heads around that way of thinking. When you look at the story of of Jericho, just a few chapters before, but has a kind of relevance to what we're saying this morning, again, we can kind of read it in that Sunday school mentality where we all march around the room and, and so on, and yet what we're talking about is in that city... The destruction of every man, woman, and child, and animal in that place. It's a serious thing, what is happening in the book of Joshua. And here we come to this point in the story where Israel had only experienced victory at this moment in time. Every kind of endeavor that they put their minds to as they entered into this land had been successful. They'd been victorious. God had been with them. And here in this chapter, they experienced for the first time defeat. 36 men are dead. The army is frightened. No doubt Joshua was confused and puzzled 
Certainly they expected this kind of unbroken string of victories to lead them in triumph into the promised land. And that was God's desire for them as well. God provides everything to make victory possible. But often the choices that we make can lead us down a different path, a path of our own choosing, a path that we want to walk down ourselves outside of the purposes of God. Sin is the result of us going our own way. And what we see this morning in this passage and as it carries on is the consequence of sin is God's judgment. However, when we experience that failure in our own lives, it doesn't always have to be a lasting defeat. So we're just going to unpack this passage a little bit uh, this morning. Um, I'm going to use some stuff on the screen. I don't know whether I have to point it up this way or uh, something. There we go. It's not working, so you might just have to forward it on for me, if that's possible. There we go. A curse. Israel have sinned. They have violated my covenant that I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put it with their own possessions. Now Joshua had been told that all of the gold and the the silver and the bronze was to be kept separate from the people and the kind of spoils of war. That was to be dedicated and devoted to God. But Achan took a portion of that treasure and he buried it under where his tent was and he hid it. Even though Achan knew what God had said, even though Achan knew along with everyone else that this is stuff that belonged to God, he rationalized his sin. And as a result of that, God's hand of blessing was taken away from the people of Israel. You know, sin, when it comes, comes as a curse. It comes to take us away from or as a result of us stepping away from the good things that God intended us to live in. You know, God uh, intended us to live as his children in the world that he made beautifully, in the life that he gives us fully. But we have a habit of choosing our own path, of seeing all the wonder that God has made and yet somehow thinking, oh, it looks nicer over there. Maybe I'll go over there and set up camp, set up home over in that place. We don't know the big picture often of what God is doing. And so we get distracted easily and move in our own direction. Sin is really the stuff we put onto ourselves or that others put onto us that blocks the image of who God has really created us to be. What Jesus comes to do is not to point out all the stuff that is wrong in our lives, but to remove all the stuff that we and others have put on us that blocks that image of who God has really created us to be. Are there areas of our lives where we experience that 
curse, the curse of sin, where we experience the reality of living aside from who God has really created us to be. We can't keep on living as though somehow God is going to turn a blind eye to these things in our lives, because he won't. That's the curse of sin, whether it goes all the way down from Adam to Achan, the consequences of that are that relationships break. It's part of the curse of sin as well. It breaks relationship. It breaks relationship between us and God. It breaks relationship between us and those around us, our family, our friends. It breaks our relationship with the world that God has made, but it also breaks our relationship with ourselves, who we are internally as God's people. It shatters those relationships, and that's the the curse that we see in this passage. We see it between Achan and God and the people. We see it in the community of Israel as a whole. We see it with Achan's family and what happens to them later on. What is the cause of of that curse? That's the next uh, slide to come up. The cause uh, of this curse. Verses 10 to 11, God told Israel that they had sinned. The first sin uh, that they came across was overconfidence. They saw uh, that the size of the army in Ai was smaller than the one at Jericho, and they thought, you know what? They're not very big. I reckon we could have them. You know, we, we can go in with a lot fewer men. We don't need to, to risk the whole army. We go in with a smaller number, and we'll get the job done. We'll get the job done. And they forgot that it wasn't them who got the job done at Jericho. All they did was walk around the walls and shout at the end. It was God who brought the walls down. And so their overconfidence meant that they stepped outside of believing that it was God that was going to bring them the victory and not their own strength. Years later... In 1 Samuel chapter 17, it was David who reminded the people and reminded Goliath as he stood before him. So that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Standing in your own strength, in your own Power, independence on your own might, leads to defeat. If there are challenges that we face, if there's sin in our lives that needs to be overcome, if it's a hidden sin like Achan's, or if it's staring you right in the face like Goliath, we need to come to the Lord that he might fight that battle with us and for us. Sometimes that overconfidence can manifest itself in our own righteousness. You know, in thinking, you know, we're pretty good at this following Jesus business. Uh, We don't need to be corrected. We don't need to look in on ourselves. We don't need to keep a watch over our spiritual life. Note the title of the 
of the passage that I've been given this morning, God's judgment on sin. Not my judgment on sin, not your judgment on sin, but God's judgment on sin. Pointing the finger. We're very good at doing that, aren't we? We, we like a bit, despite talking about being a New Testament people, we like a bit of judgment. We like a bit of wrath, particularly when it's directed towards the people we don't like or we don't agree with. I heard a story recently, a friend of mine in America who was driving along uh, the interstate and he uh, got to a, a section of the road where he thought it was like a 60 mile an hour speed limit. And there was a state trooper there and he was doing like 60, maybe just under 60 miles an hour. And uh, the state trooper pulled him over and said, you were speeding. He said, no, 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 it was a 60 mile an hour limit. And he said, no, 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 it's a 50 mile an hour limit and you were doing... 60. And he said, no, I'm, I'm absolutely sure I saw a sign that said it was a 60 mile an hour limit. Because there's no arguing with the police. Very sorry if there are police officers in this morning. No arguing, certainly for him with the police. And, and he was given a ticket on the spot. And the next week he was driving down the same section of road and he saw that the speed limit was in fact 60. And that he'd been given this ticket by a state trooper incorrectly. And he was praying. He was really angry. He was going, oh Lord, I want justice. I want justice for this terrible injustice that has been given against me. And the Lord said to him, okay, you want justice. You need to pay for all the times that you were speeding, but you didn't get caught. <laughs> so mercy, Lord, I want mercy. That's the reply. Because it's only when we know that we stand on the wrong side of justice that we call out for mercy. It's only when we know that we stand on the wrong side of justice, judgment, that we cry out for mercy because that's all we can do. We stand in that place and what we need is mercy. Disobedience, that's the, the second thing uh, that is the cause. The failure of one man, the disobedience of one man affected the whole nation. When we harbor those sins in our hearts, as I've said already, it affects the people around us. It affects our families. It affects our churches. It affects the community that we live in. We can fall into that individualistic mindset, can't we? I think it's my faith. I live my faith out, my personal faith. It doesn't really affect those around me. And that's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to divide us up. He loves to make it about the individualism. You notice that when uh, the devil comes to tempt Eve in the garden, she's on her own. When he comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, he's on his own. And often that's what the enemy does. He seeks to separate us out to make us feel like we're on our own, to make us feel like this little thing that we might uh, give into is only really going to affect us. But actually it has huge consequences for the communities around us, for the, the people around us. It's easy to fall into that mindset. But sin always hurts others. 
always hurts others. Look at Achan. One guy hides some loot under his tent. And the whole nation suffers. His whole family ends up paying the price. What about you this morning? Is that you? When you're reading that passage, thinking about these things, does that gentle finger of the Holy Spirit rest on your heart this morning? And bring that conviction in the same way the Spirit singled out Achan. And if so, if you know that this morning, if you feel that conviction in your heart this morning, are we left without hope? Left in that place of judgment, God's judgment on sin? The good news is there is something that can be done. A cause, a curse, a cause, and lastly, um, a cure. What do we do when we fail? When we mess up? We kneel at the feet of Jesus as the one who paid our penalty and confess. And seek his strength to go on. Confession. Achan's personal confession. Um, Joshua, with a bit of shrewd leadership here, goes for the good cop uh, part in the early day with, with Achan. Says to him, my son, come and bring your good confession. You know, um, not necessarily leading Achan down the path of we're about to stone you in the valley. Um, but confession was important. Because without the truth, there can't be a restoration of relationship. Without the truth, we can't move forwards. And he confesses, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it, I hid it. And how often is that true in our lives of of sin? You know, I saw it and I wanted it, and so I took it. And now I'm hiding it. I'm hiding it from the people around me. We don't know whether his family knew about the treasure hidden in his tent. Hiding it from my family, from my friends. I'm hiding or trying to hide it from God. So much of our sin is hidden. We want to try and hide it because we know that it's not right. You don't try and hide something that you're not ashamed of, or you don't think other people will judge you for. We know it isn't God's best, and yet we think we could hide it even from God. But let me tell you something this morning, friends. If you know that there's stuff in your life that you're keeping hidden, you can't hide it from him. You can't hide it from him. He knows. 
He knows this morning. And he doesn't want you to live in the shadows. He doesn't want you to live in the darkness, but to to be rescued and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's his desire for you this morning. To live in life and light. But he calls us to confess those sins. To be open and honest that we might be made new, that we might move forward, that we might be restored. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you're worried, if you think, you know, maybe this has got too big for me. It's taken on a momentum of its own. It's taken on a life of its own. It's too big for me. I need to keep it hidden away. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive us. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. This morning. Desires us to to see him in a new way, to see ourselves in a new way, to be made clean. Correction, that's the next point, verse 25. God uh, said in the beginning, sin brings death. That's God's judgment because of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, The wages of sin are death. Or as the message puts it, work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. That's the consequence of of sin. And for for Achan, that was the consequence of his sin. And for Achan's family, that was the consequence of Achan's sin. And there may be some of you here this morning who know when you're talking about the sin of others affecting a whole family, bringing death to a whole family, there are some of you here this morning who know what that feels like. Maybe not in a physical sense of death, but in the brokenness of a family, the abusiveness of a parent or a partner. Some of you know what that's like. To be in Achan's family's position. To pay the price for the sin of someone else. For Achan, that correction was that ultimately his life was forfeit. For us, don't be fooled into thinking because we're a New Testament people that sin is somehow less important or less toxic. Still the same. God's judgment is still the same. What is different is that now because of Jesus, someone else has paid the price. We don't have to wander into the valley of trouble, which... Seems to be quite a light name for what happened uh, in the valley. I don't think if I was thinking of naming it, I would name it the valley of trouble. I think there should be a bigger word than the valley of trouble. We don't have to walk into that valley because Jesus has been there for us. 
Sin brings death. But ultimately, God himself has taken that on in Jesus. Standing in our place, dying the death that we deserve to die. Failure broke the heart of God. So God came to deal with the problem himself. And that's where I want to come to to end this morning. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We remember that bit, don't we? Judgment. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So whatever it is this morning, whether it's something in the past you remember, whether it's something here and now, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The passage that Carol's read for us already, the last slide. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you're looking for an accurate description of God's judgment on sin, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what we see in Jesus. Mercy triumphs over judgment, but you have to receive it. You have to receive that life that Jesus comes to bring. You have to receive that gift that Jesus comes to give you this morning. Maybe you need to receive it in a fresh way today. Maybe you need to see where you honestly stand before this holy God this morning. So that rather than calling for justice, I want justice. You might look at your own heart and cry for mercy. Mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then may you experience in all the wonder and extravagant grace of Jesus that in your life you too can say, mercy has triumphed over judgment. Let's just have a moment of quiet, shall we? Just, Holy Spirit, Lord, giver of life, would you come and just lay your gentle light and truth-giving hand upon our hearts. Show us those things that you need us 
to confess and bring to you that you might cleanse us of them and make us new. And I'm not going to get you to stand up or do anything that's going to identify you as having to um, go through that process. But if that's you this morning, if you know that that's you this morning, it's in the honesty of your own heart, I'm just going to pray for us. Um, And if that's not you, then just be in that spirit of prayerfulness. Um, So let's, let's continue to pray. Lord, we come to you with nothing but the dirty rags of our own self-righteousness that we can't even stretch to cover over the stains. But we thank you that you want to clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus. to exchange those dirty rags for royal robes. We know that we don't deserve it. We know that there's nothing we can do to earn it. But may we receive that gift this morning. Lord, where there are things in our lives that in our hearts we confess before you, would you free us from those things? Clean us up and make us new. Where, Lord, we might need to share that with someone else this morning. Give us courage to do that. Help us, Lord, day by day to keep being renewed and made new. May the story of our walk of discipleship be that mercy triumphs over judgment. We thank you that your word says that in you we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is come. Help us to live and walk in that truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.